some breaking news. Make sure that you join our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show so that you can hear Julia Salazar talk about her political evolution, which is something critics have used against her, even though I think it's a plus. Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. You can hear the Katie Halper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org online. Find us on iTunes. Rate and review us, please. And you can find us on SoundCloud. And uh, make sure you join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show so that you can get bonus goodies. On today's show, I speak to Julia Salazar, who is running for state Senate in New York's 18th district in North Brooklyn. Salazar is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, or DSA, and is running as a DSA and Democratic Party candidate. The election for state Senate is on September 13th. But first, I speak to Ted Ham, a co-founder and former editor of the Brooklyn Rail. He teaches journalism and New York City history at St. Joseph's College in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. And Ham has a piece in City Limits that came out Monday about Letitia James, who is running against Zephyr Teachout for Attorney General of New York. And the vote for Attorney General is also on September 13th. The op-ed is called Letitia James's Past Support for Tainted XDA is a Concern. Tell us about this op-ed that you wrote. My take on Tish James, it, it's basically goes back to the 2013 district attorney's race in Brooklyn when she supported Joe Hines uh, instead of Ken Thompson, uh, who the reformed candidate in that race. Um, and at the time, the there was plenty of evidence of corruption within the Hines administration, particularly regarding wrongful convictions. Um, there had been 16 cases overturned by judges at that point, And Jabbar Collins was a, a, a headliner uh, over the preceding four years. His case had been playing out, causing all kinds of uh, controversy for Hines and so on. The Daily News in November of 2012 called for an investigation of Hines and his henchman, Mike Vecchione, over their handling of the Jabbar Collins case. And can you tell us about the case of Jabbar Collins? Sure. He was convicted for a 1994 murder of a Williamsburg rabbi. Vecchione, the, the prosecutor, used what, what became known as the Heinz Hotel method of coercing reluctant witnesses to testify, which that meant bringing them to putting them in a hotel room, often against their will, um, until they finally agreed to testify in cases. And in, 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 in Jabbar Collins's case, the, the, the witnesses were not even uh, at the scene of the They had identified other people and so forth. Uh, so they were, they were faulty witnesses. Um, as the case unraveled, the two federal judges found misconduct on the part of, glaring misconduct on the part of Vecchione and Hines. Uh, they, one federal judge famously called Vecchione's conduct shameful. So um, yeah, there was quite abundant evidence that this was par for the course in the Heinz administration. It was quite evident that there was plenty of wrongful convictions uh, taking place in Brooklyn that had happened under the Heinz administration. And yet 
Chish was still willing to support Heinz because he was the candidate of the Democratic Party machine. And so really what I'm raising the question is, you know, is it her first loyalty to the machine or the, to, the, to the reformers? And this is a good example that it's, uh, she's clearly on the side of the machine. And that raises questions, of course, as attorney general, what, uh, w- what will she do about corruption uh, if, they, if there are allies, uh, her, her political allies? Is she really going to go after them as she claims it, uh, her track record suggests otherwise? Uh, what, what wound up happening? Was the person ever caught who actually killed the rabbi? That's a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't know that they ever did catch it. Now that, uh, that person. And that is, that also raises the problem. So there were, so there have been more than three dozen, uh, wrongful convictions from the Heinz administration. He was in uh, office for 24 years, 1990 wow. to 2013. And so there, these were, uh, they were not they were putting the locking up the wrong people and then letting the culprits go free. And of course, almost all of these uh, wrongful convictions were affecting black and brown communities in Brooklyn. So, uh, you know, there was a lot at stake. And these are the communities that, that Tish uh, claims to represent. And I should also say that at the same time, this, this scan, these scandals, I didn't write about this in the op ed for the sake of space, but. Uh, there was Hasidic sex abuse scandals going on, yeah. and she, she, was, she was willing to look the other way as Heinz created this phony uh, tribunal of rabbis that, that allowed that, that them to decide which cases got reported and so on. So it was, you know, it was quite clear that Heinz was not, uh, you know, he was anything but running a reform administration at that point. Uh, things were totally out of control, and she was willing to stick with him. Until of course, wow. until of course, he ran as a Republican in the general election, um, and then she denounced him. Um, mm-hmm. So her loyalty was to, to she liked Hines over Thompson as when he was uh, when Hines was a Democrat, but then she didn't like uh, <laughs> Hines when he was a Republican. So it was just party, right. just straightforward party politics. Yeah, I wonder what changed. Just kidding. Um, and what are your thoughts on Zephyr Teachout? who is running against Letitia James for the um, attorney general's office. Well, I think she has quite uh, a t- clear track record of fighting corruption. And I don't think that she would put uh, her political loyalty. She's not running with the support of the machine um, right. in, in any way, shape or form. And party machines are clearly backing Tish, not just the Brooklyn machine, but elsewhere too, across the state. And so, uh, you know, these are people are, are hoping that, Tish gets elected and then just lets them uh, do their thing, which is, you know, a, a festival of corruption in Albany. Right. And you open your piece. Um, you say not you, you quote Letitia James saying not everyone in Albany is corrupt. Public advocate Letitia James declared at last week's attorney general debate at John Jay College. The statement sent a signal from James to the many fellow Democratic Party machine candidates who have endorsed her that if elected, she won't keep close tabs on them. So what do you mean by that? Well, I think it's pretty, pretty straightforward that uh, most people who follow these uh, issues closely think that Albany is uh, a swamp of corruption. And there have been several uh, uh, high profile, powerful figures, state leaders of the state Senate and state uh, assembly over the last several years have been prosecuted, but mainly by the uh, federal prosecutors. Um, 
And so we need people, we need watchdogs. And uh, instead of that, instead of acting as a watchdog, she was saying, no, um, there are, these are good people. You know, there's plenty of good people operating in Albany. So it was just sort of a signal to her, her base of, of machine supporters that that's how she will operate. She also said she, and of course, she also said she's not going to be a sheriff of Wall Street either. So I don't know what she really plans to do. Oh, wow. She's not going to be a sheriff of Wall Street. Right. Wow, I didn't know people said that stuff out loud still. <laughs> they, wow. Yeah, yeah that I mean, in, in a way that's admirable, right? It's kind of, it's kind of, it's shockingly honest. Well, it's, um, you could say that, yeah. But I mean, it's almost, I mean, then she puts out a statement just today on her Twitter feed that, you know, I'm going to prosecute anyone, uh, all caps, uh, who right. is guilty of corruption. But you know, that's just far-fetched. And can you tell us about um, the state Senate race in New York's District 18 between um, Julia Salazar and Martin Dilan? Sure. There's a, a Brooklyn party um, machine, a little bit of history there. I, I'll try to keep it uh, brief. But uh, Vito Lopez was the Brooklyn party boss uh, from 2006 to 2012 before he went down in a sexual harassment scandal. Um, poor guy. Yeah. And, um, Delon was his, uh, one of the eventual opponent called him his hand puppet. Um, so Delon and his, his son have been quite close to the Lopez machine. Um, and so even after Lopez then died a few years ago, uh, Delon has perpetuated that how that machine operated, at least in the district that they controlled for quite a number of years now, um, as they've gone back and forth between city council seats. Now they're in the assembly and the son is in the assembly and Delon's in the state Senate seat. So Salazar is the newcomer challenging them, uh, challenging Martin Delon, the father. Um, but it's really uh, a case of the, the newcomer and the, the DSA and so on. Uh, taking on uh, the, the old rem- the old guard of the machine, um, and you know that's why it's, there's more to there's, there's, it's a bigger story than some of the other races because uh, Ocasio Cortez, of course, defeated the Queen's Party boss Crowley, and that was a blow to that machine. So um, this really could be um, uh, the le- chip away at the 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 the, the, the Lopez. Uh, his lingering power base, but also the, the the broader power of the Democratic Party machine in, in Brooklyn. So, And there's been a lot of exposés against Salazar, but you don't hear a lot about Delon's dishonesty, even though I was kind of shocked because he he, he lied during the, the New York One debate that he had between him and Salazar. And he said she, she, she lived in luxury housing, um, which she just doesn't. Um, he also says he has a perfect record on housing votes, but he clearly doesn't. He himself regrets some of his votes. What other things do people need to know that the media is ignoring about Delon? Well, he uh, is never been a, an advocate. The, the way the the way the Delon, the Vito Lopez and Delon uh, regime operated in their district is they. Only, they had a couple power bases of voters, uh, a couple blocks of voters. Um, the Ridgewood Bushwick Senior Center, which uh, the two Delons as Assembly and State, State Senate were found 
as of 2012, had given over $5 million in public money to the Ridgewood Bushwick Senior Center. And that was the power base of votes because the seniors would come out and vote in return for that support, the funding for the organization and patronage jobs and so on. So there was there, there's that um, organization. And then the Satmar um, Hasidic community in um, South Williamsburg, and, and particularly in the NYCHA housing on Wythe there near the BQE, though they get a lot of votes from uh, that community. And that right now, obviously, or what or one of the main issues for them is yeshiva schools and trying to prevent oversight of those schools. And Cuomo um, reportedly met with Satmar lead rabbi or rebbe and promised he would not push for oversight. So basically what you're getting is, you know, these are the groups that are most loyal to Delon and may, um, you know, push him. They're, they're, that's who he's counting on to push him over the top in next week's election. There's a, a Juan Gonzalez um, column from uh, roughly around 2010 or so that uh, said that Delon um, got angry with with longtime housing advocates. There's a group called East Brooklyn Congregations that uh, advocates for tenants' rights, and they went to meet with him. And he brushed, brushed them off and got got hostile with them and just he doesn't does he, basically they've done nothing for longtime residents of the community who are now who are not a, a, a part of their machine um, and have been squeezed out as Bushwick has been booming as we all know uh, for the last ten years or so and um, what, what he hasn't done he, that's not who he represents so. You know, Salazar is breathing life into this district and targeting new voters and people who aren't part of that, the Delon machine. So that, what she's doing is, is very important. And so then all these people up in arms about her identity issues are just ignoring the fact that um, Delon's identity is quite clear. He's a, he's a hack politician who's not going to serve the interests of anyone who doesn't... Uh, isn't part of his machine. The media, even in, on the local level, seem to think that experience is more important, even with disastrous results, than lack of experience with great ideas. It's, it's pretty depressing. It's like a real embrace of the status quo. So September 13th, there are going to be a bunch of um, elections, and it seems like they're basically just um, like proxy wars for for Cuomo, right? So you have Cuomo versus Nixon, obviously. Then you have Zephyr Teachout versus um, Tish James, Letitia James, which you talked about. Kathy Hochul versus Jamani Williams. Julia Salazar versus Dilan. Yaji taking out uh, Jeff Klein. Oh right, yeah. Uh, it's exciting. I thought I thought Cynthia Nixon, by the way, did a great job in the debate. He stole hundreds of millions of dollars from the MTA budget for his pet projects that have nothing to do with it. He used the MTA, he used the MTA like an ATM, and we see the result. He has had seven and a half years. The Times endorsement certainly hurt her. I mean, I think she's never quite answered the question of, well, why are you qualified to be the governor? But I don't think that's I don't think that's a reason to endorse Cuomo. Yeah. Again, I, why not go with someone who hasn't done terrible things? Right. I mean, Cuomo could say you should vote for me because I'm in office and I've done terrible things and I'm a career politician. His, his argument is I know how the office works. But. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe that when he said the governor of New York is not a job about politics. It's not about advocacy. It's about doing. 
Uh, it's about management. It's about doing, it's about management. Like you realize you're running for office. Right. And there was a great line where, I don't know if you noticed this Freudian slip where he said, we need a Republican Senate. That's, that's amazing. He was basically saying he was trying to blame his failure to, you know, do single pay or Medicare for all, failure to codify uh, Roe v. Wade. He was blaming it on not having a Democratic Senate or not having had a Democratic Senate and having a Republican Senate, state Senate, of course. And he said, instead of saying we need a Democratic Senate, he said we need a Republican Senate. As far as protecting a woman's right to choose, I said if Trump overrules it, we're going to pass it in the state of New York. It'll be a You've top priority. A years to we pass need it, Governor, the Republican. We a need priority. a Republican Senate. Uh, which was quite the Freudian slip. <laughs> right. Sure. He's the one who all these uh, IDC members, they're all working in uh, cahoots with with Cuomo. Right. So there really is no excuse. But I mean, I think that does um, require you know, certainly the activists are going to are going to vote along those lines. But, you know, are the main mainline voters? Um, what's their calculation with Cuomo? I mean, the, the unions are certainly strong for with Cuomo and the unions are strong for uh, Tish, but you know, maybe not, maybe not so much the rank and file. Right. But the leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And they know that she's not going to investigate them either. Right. Of course. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Okay. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. You too. Bye. 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 And that was my interview with Ted Ham, who is a co-founder of the Brooklyn rail on today's show. I speak to Julia Salazar, who is running for state Senate in New York's 18th district in North Brooklyn. Salazar is 27 years old, Latina, and a first-time candidate, and she's challenging Martin Dilan, the longtime incumbent, hoping to win a ninth term. Salazar describes herself as an advocate, a tenant, a feminist, a democratic socialist, a union member, and a proud daughter of an immigrant father. Salazar is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, or DSA, and is running as a DSA and Democratic Party candidate. The election for state Senate is on September 13th. I'm really excited to be interviewing candidate for state Senate, Julia Salazar. She's running for state Senate in District 18 in North Brooklyn. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back on the Katie Helper show. So let's see, let's just start with um, what made you want to run. Like, did you have an aha moment? Sort of. Um, For context, a couple years ago, um, I participated in Debbie Medina's campaign uh, against Senator Delan, challenging Senator Delan uh, in the summer of 2016. Uh, Debbie was um, is a Latina tenant organizer from South Williamsburg who ran a really strong grassroots campaign against Senator Delan um, and, and did um, quite well in, in the polls in the primary two years ago. Um, and I was really inspired by her campaign early this year. I, um, a friend reached out to me while I was on my way to work one day and said, someone needs to run against Delon. And I said, yeah, someone needs to run against Delon. And he said, uh, yeah, you're, you're not really getting it. Um, (laughs) but the following, the following weekend, he came over to my house and made the case for me to run. Um, at which point I was a hard no, but I thought that I, I was I was definitely committed to the race and and felt that we needed to challenge Delon. And over the course of a couple months and talking to more people in the community about it, friends about it, I finally committed to actually being the candidate and running against Delon. Um, and that I I 
publicly launched the campaign in April. So your friend came over. Who was this friend and what was the case that they made for you to run? Yeah. So this friend was my friend, Nick, who is a Democratic district leader in Greenpoint, uh, which is within within our district, um, including most of Greenpoint, uh, most of Williamsburg, all of Bushwick and Cypress Hills. And he came over um, and first he made the case for the race and said, you know, you know, Senator DeLon has been totally absent in the district. He's failed to really adequately represent our community. And we want to find someone who's a true movement candidate who has a record of fighting for the community um, and of legislative advocacy. And I wasn't immediately inclined to think about myself in that way. Um, so when when he made that pitch to me, even though I was um, I, I found it compelling, I still it didn't match my image, unfortunately, of what a politician is, um, certainly a state senator, given that our, our state Senate is 78 percent men, mostly white men, mostly white men with law degrees. Um, you know, none of these things are really relatable to me as a as a full time community organizer. Delon has responded to you. I've never seen such an open attempt to get someone to stop running. How many times has he tried, speaking of law degrees, mm-hmm. uh, how many, and the courts, how many times has he tried to get you excluded from the race uh, mm-hmm. so far? Right. So Senator Delon attempted to kick me off the ballot after petitioning. It's pretty standard for, especially for a, a machine candidate or um, an incumbent to try to kick their opponent off the ballot by challenging their petition signatures. Um for us, we we anticipated that, like like many candidates do, and we collected uh, more than four thousand clean signatures. Clean meaning, you know, we we felt that they would all stand up to legal challenge. He served me over a month ago, um, and was challenging my petitions. Although that that petition was very weak and unsubstantiated, and so it was struck down. Um, but then he also tried to challenge me on the basis of residency, which was also baseless. Um, and Judge Walker uh, ruled in the case locally um, against, you know, to, to dismiss Delon's petition. Delon appealed once. Also, this was this was locally. Um, the appeals court, a panel of four judges, unanimously ruled against him and in my favor. And then he appealed a final time in Albany. So my attorney, who is very much a movement attorney, she had to go up to Albany to to, to just go through the motions of of his um, baseless appeal, and then they denied his appeal once again. So now the process is complete, and I'll be on the ballot. So now he has nothing left. So he's done what he he tried to block you on the the signatures, mm-hmm. then on your residency mm-hmm. got blocked. Appealed once, appealed mm-hmm. twice, mm-hmm. appealed three times, or that's it? Just twice. Appealed twice. So, appealed twice. Uh, okay. but yeah, so that's three total, total of plus three times. Four. Okay, so yeah. you've gotten through four gates of, of hell or whatever, <laughs> yeah. four levels of whatever the Mario Brothers yeah. who, rings who or don't. something. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> how does he even try with the residency thing? Because you live in Brooklyn, and part of his one of his smears against you is that you live in a luxury. <laughs> apartment building, and I'm in the luxury, the alleged luxury apartment building. Full disclosure: this interview is from Julia's 
apartment, and there's not to speak ill of my hostess, but there's a lot of garbage out in front. And I have been to luxury apartment buildings, and that's a sign that it's not a luxury apartment building is when there's a lot of garbage in front on the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we we missed trash day this week or something. There's there there's a lot of trash out there. And yeah, so we don't as you know, I don't live in a luxury building. We have an um a buzzer. Right. That's, <laughs> That's fancy. about it. We don't have yeah, fancy buzzer. We do not have a doorman right. or a lobby or, or, an or, or, or an elevator or a gym or anything beyond um this three story walk up. Right. You got yeah. a nice island. Nice yeah. built in island. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, in yes. the kitchen. Yep, we got a little. Uh, we got a kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so so fancy with. I, I would love that. to go to Delon's house. I wonder what that's like. He owns a house in Cypress Hills, which is very interesting that he he thinks it's appropriate to attack tenants <laughs> living in a yeah. below market rate apartment. Actually, um, but right, what's how can he both accuse you of living in a luxury apartment building? How can you use that as a smear, but then also say you don't live here? Right. It's, it's wild. Um, I think he is just throwing stuff at the wall and, and hoping that something sticks. Yeah. Um, it's remarkable. He, he brought this up on New York one in our debate. My opponent is also part of the problem because she lives in a luxury apart, uh, apartment building, which has accepted tax credits and tax abatements and in the units where she lives, not one affordable. So she's part of that wave. And I immediately, you know, was able to refute it and just said, uh, Senator Delon knows that those are misrepresentations. I do not live in a luxury building. I live in a three story walk up. Um, there's, there's no luxury amenities about it. Um, to blame the affordable housing crisis on tenants, uh, including myself, is outrageous. Look, I just don't live in a luxury building. My, my opponent continues to do this. Right. Um, and he really refused to talk about the issues. Right. Um, I'm willing to address these things when they come up, um, when, because he, he forces me right. to to um, explain why he's lying, but but uh, I'd much rather Talk be about talking the issues, about right. the issues that are affecting our district, and and he doesn't want to do course, that because right. his his record is is really not very impressive. So let's talk about yeah. the issues. Yeah. Delon's attacks on you have been mostly either dishonest or they've been attempts to get you thrown off the ballot. Um, what are the issues that he'd have to confront? Do you, what are the differences between the two of you? The most significant is definitely housing and tenants' rights. Next year, our rent laws are expiring, are up for renewal in June 2019. And it's why it's so urgent that we finally get the right state senators in who will fight for tenants and who are actually accountable to tenants. It's also, you know, part of why, a significant part of why I... Uh, I'm committed to never taking any money from for-profit real estate developers or the real estate lobby or corporations. Um, we've been able to run a really strong grassroots campaign, um, uh, even even as we refuse any of that dirty money. Um, and and it's a really important contrast to to um, Delon's campaigns, which which um, in every cycle have been funded by real estate. He often says that he has a perfect record in the state Senate of perfect voting record on uh, pro-tenant legislation, but that's that's simply false. Um, I've been an advocate for tenants ever since I organized my own building 
against an abusive landlord, uh, my, my neighbors, um, when we were experiencing, you know, winters without adequate heat, um, urgent repairs not being made. Um, this is back in 2014, early 2014. Um, I organized my own, own building in a rent strike. Um, I've been an advocate for tenants, uh, for throughout my time in, in New York and, uh, have been committed to never taking any money from the real estate lobby, uh, or from for-profit real estate developers, which stands in, in pretty sharp contrast to Senator DeLon, who's, who's taken hundreds and thousands of dollars from the real estate lobby. His, his record is really poor on this issue. Began when he was still in the city council, um, in 1994, um, as well as in, in 1999, his vote on lead paint. He has a, a vote that he claims to regret from the 90s. He voted for vacancy decontrol, often referred to as the eviction mm-hmm. bonus. And then he, he regrets that. But he uh, also, in 2009, when Democrats briefly held a majority in the Senate, he refrained from co-sponsoring a bill to repeal the vacancy decontrol. And then he abstained from voting on it. Vacancy decontrol is a policy that housing advocates, tenant advocates know. It's it's just very clear that it has been the driving force of displacement, especially in North Brooklyn, uh, where our district is, for the last couple of decades. Back in 1994, when it was first passed through the city council, advocates lobbied Delon and, and every council member really hard on it because they knew that it was going to lead to the destabilization of so many rent stabilized units. And yet Delon didn't listen. And now, now in hindsight claims that he didn't know, which is, is bogus. Yeah. Vacancy decontrol, it uh, is effectively an eviction bonus or vacancy bonus. It incentivizes the rampant tenant harassment that we see, um, of, of landlords trying to kick people out so that after a given amount of time, um, they can raise the rent beyond, um, stabilization. And so not only, not only does, you know, it lead to tenant harassment to, to evictions, but additionally to the crumbling of the, the rent stabilization system. In 2010, Senator DeLon had uh, along with the rest of the state, sent an opportunity to vote in support of two bills, a legislative package that would have implemented uh, stronger tenant protections. It was pro-tenant legislation. Uh, he was heavily lobbied on it. Apparently, it was known that uh, that Vito Lopez, uh, the late assembly member at the time, um, uh, controlled Delon's votes, and Vito mm-hmm. advised. Senator DeLon to vote no or or to take a walk, so to speak, during the vote. And that's what DeLon did. He was strategically absent for the vote on that legislation in 2010. And as a result, it failed. So that's that's significant. So he he voted for vacancy to control when he was still in the city council. Uh, he's been in the state Senate for 16 years. And, in, and yet in 2009, when the Democrats still had a majority in the state Senate and there was an opportunity to pass a law to repeal vacancy decontrol, mm-hmm. um, he didn't co-sponsor that bill. And then he abstained from voting on it, which is 
very harmful. You know, the the result was that repealing vacancy decontrol didn't pass. So why did he do that? Uh, we know that Senator DeLon has taken hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout his time in the state Senate from the real estate industry. He has taken more from real estate than any state senator in the Democratic caucus. At least he stands out in some way. Yeah, yeah. In in this way, Senator DeLon is remarkable. Right. And what about uh, lead poisoning? Back in 1999, DeLon voted in favor of exempting landlords from liability for lead paint, which we know uh, is a serious public health issue, um, and, and exempted schools and and public housing from oversight um, regarding lead paint. Um, I was speaking to someone recently who is an inspector for the city, and he he was just talking to me about how the, the biggest problem with with lead paint and other env- environmental problems that are disproportionately affecting low-income communities and our communities in North Brooklyn as well is a lack of enforcement and oversight. What on earth is his defense for that voting record on that issue? He doesn't really attempt to justify it. When I debated him on New York One a couple weeks ago, he repeatedly claimed that his record in the state Senate on tenants' rights is flawless, is perfect. (laughs) I think that he relies on people not closely following his legislative record, partly because he's not a very present senator. So people don't, you know, are likely not aware of the harmful positions he's taken. Uh, but he, he relies on that, that ignorance in order to, to make false claims like that about his record. Someone who's endorsed you and who you have endorsed is Cynthia Nixon, who is challenging Governor Andrew Cuomo. She had this pretty amazing debate. When it comes to opposing Donald Trump in New York State, we already have a corrupt corporate Republican in the White House. We don't need a corrupt corporate Democrat in Albany as his main opposition. When you look at, we need to oppose, we need to oppose Donald Trump, not just with rhetoric, but with policy. So why, for example, have you not expanded access to driver's licenses to undocumented New Yorkers if you really care about combating the Trump agenda and stopping the mass deportations of New York's undocumented people. This is something that you could do by executive order, something that I have pledged to do in my first, on my first day in office. If you really care about a, a, a president that's rolling back Obamacare, why haven't you fought harder for single payer? If you really care about women's reproductive health, why have you prioritized Republican leadership of the Senate over the Reproductive Health Act, okay. which would have codified Roe versus Wade? And- One of the most important effects of passing the Reproductive Health Act, which we have, we need to do urgently at the state level and have reproductive justice advocates have been fighting to do for for decades one of the one of the most important effects is that it would remove abortion from the criminal code even in New York right abortion is in the criminal code and would finally update our laws on abortion which currently precede Roe v Wade which is to say they were very progressive when established you know in in like the 70s for for the for that time but at this point are really outdated and are not doing nearly enough to guarantee access to abortion services um, statewide. 
and are not doing enough to to protect pregnant people who seek to get an abortion. And so what would you do as state senator to help pass the Reproductive Health Care Act? Yeah, I would work with the bill sponsor, um, with Liz, with Senator, Senator Kruger. Um, Liz Kruger, state senator Liz Kruger. Uh-huh. Yeah, would work with fellow Senate de- Democrats to make sure that it finally passes because we know that the electorate wants it. We know that that uh, people across New York State support it, but we really need the political will in the state Senate to finally push it through. It's it's more urgent than ever, especially with, you know, the threat of Roe v. Wade being overturned at the federal level. Okay, we live in New York, right? It's a Democratic state Senate. Why has this not already been passed? Yeah, well, for one, for the last few years, despite technically having a Democratic majority, there has been a caucus of Democrats who have, who have entered into a power-sharing agreement with the Republicans in the state Senate, so known, known as the Independent Democratic Conference, the IDC. Ostensibly, the IDC dissolved in April, this past April, conveniently right before you know, primary races started, as, as many of them were rightfully installed or rightfully facing progressive challengers to unseat them. But uh, basically, you know, these turncoat Democrats in the state Senate have maintained an effective Republican majority, have denied Andrea Stewart-Cousins, the Democratic leader, her right to her ability, her given ability to lead uh, a progressive state Senate. And the result has been that a ton of progressive legislation that we've supported um, that has passed through the Assembly, for example, has not come to the floor in the state Senate. Cuomo said something about the Republican Senate, and and Cindy Nixon mentioned how he's empowered and emboldened the IDC. Why do we Thank have a both. Republican Senate? It's because your empowerment of the IDC. That's that the only reason. Can you elaborate on that? Because because that's something that you're also running against, right? This culture of Democrats posturing a lot, but actually voting with Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, it, it isn't only IDC members who people who who actually join the IDC, uh, senators who actually join the IDC, who have benefited from this from this power sharing agreement and who have been complicit in it. My state senator, Senator Delon, who I'm challenging in this primary, uh, has taken in in 2016, for example. So in the last election cycle, he took over eight thousand dollars directly from the IDC's PAC. Despite that he didn't actually join the IDC, he has taken a ton of money from Jeff Klein, who's the leader of the IDC. So he's definitely been complicit in in uh, how the IDC has maintained a harmful power dynamic in the state Senate. Um, Governor Cuomo has, of course, also been complicit for for the last eight years. He claimed that he was powerless against the IDC, but we know that he was supportive of the the creation of the IDC and and uh, he brokered this deal with them in April and with the Senate Democrats in April to the actual Senate Democrats, the Democratic caucus, to get the IDC to dissolve. So really, he has used his his power as governor selectively to support and then to to call for the disbanding of the IDC 
according to what was advantageous to him politically. What do people get out of this, out of caucusing or sharing power with Republicans? Why does Dillon do it? Why does Cuomo Mm -hmm. do it? I think particularly for mainstream Democrats who do not want to have to submit to agitation and pressure from a progressive base and from progressive constituents, um, from others who are to the left of them in the state Senate, it's advantageous for them, well, for Cuomo, for one, to be able to control the pace of, um, of reforms in Albany. In other words, when there is a de facto Republican majority in the state Senate, then it's really up to him through, for example, what he's what we've seen him do in the last few years, especially signing executive orders that implement these reforms and in exactly the way he would want. So instead of allowing a bill or legislation in the budget that would make CUNY and SUNY tuition free, as it once was and as it should be, he instead creates the Excelsior Scholarship, which <laughs> only helps like less than 2% of CUNY and SUNY students, only you know, less than that are even eligible for the program that he touts as being you know, free college, free public, free public college. He's able to do that, claim it as a progressive reform, and then simultaneously is able to avoid passing truly progressive reforms through the state Senate. So it, it really just gives him more control in a way that is obviously preventing truly progressive policies and transformative policies from passing. For somebody like Senator DeLon, who is not a very effective senator, someone who's been in the state Senate for 16 years and in that time does not have an impressive record of sponsoring bold and transformative legislation, certainly doesn't have a record of really championing progressive legislation and pushing it through claims that he has has corrected course on his terrible votes in the past uh, before he was in the, even in the state senate when he was in the city council on vacancy decontrol for example on housing policies and rent laws because of this power dynamic which has also only been for you know the last several years he has been able to cite that as reasons for not getting progressive legislation passed. Having people vote with Republicans? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Saying, yeah. well, you know, I caucus with the Democrats and I'm, I'm doing my best, but the power dynamic prevents us from passing progressive right. legislation. Sort of just throws his hands up and is like, well. And why um, and how did you get involved in DSA? I originally got involved in DSA sort of simultaneously through Jacobin Reading Group and through Debbie Medina's state Senate campaign, uh, poetically enough. Debbie Medina, of course, challenged Senator DeLon both in 2014 and 2016, ran a very inspiring campaign also as a democratic socialist, as a Latina tenant organizer from South Williamsburg. And, uh, you know, of course, lost to Senator DeLon, but but did quite well. Um, and I was, I just volunteered and supported her campaign in 2016 and as a result, became involved in DSA because DSA was supporting, very actively supporting her campaign. Um, and after, it was after the presidential election that um, I, I think, 
is probably when I became a dues-paying member of the 2016 presidential election, was like thousands of other people, you know, newly energized um, and, and saw DSA's organizing as a potential solution uh, or at least a way to take action in response to our um, disillusionment with the the Democratic Party after the failure of the 2016 election. It's been about two years since I originally got involved. I hold an elected position in the Socialist Feminist Working Group of the New York City chapter and have uh, just been very actively involved in DSA. And what does uh, democratic socialism mean to you? To me, being a democratic socialist means fighting to build a society in which everyone is cared for and has the resources that we need, well, not only to survive, but to thrive in our society, that everybody will truly have, have autonomy and control over our own destinies. As a democratic socialist feminist, I mean, what does that mm-hmm. mean to you? Part of the vision of fighting for a society in which everyone is able to thrive and has control over their own destiny means acknowledging gender inequality in our society and patriarchy in our society and in response, working to dismantle patriarchy and to to counteract gender inequality and fight for, for a society in which women and gender nonconforming people are no longer oppressed uh, systemically. How has gender been part of this campaign? It is generally very difficult as a young woman to be taken seriously in politics and, and when running for office. Uh, you know, I'm a 27-year-old Latina. I'm constantly being told at exactly the same time to smile more and and at the same time to be as serious as possible so that I will be taken seriously. Yeah, I think often it's it's the way that people offer me unsolicited advice about how to present myself as a as a young woman. I think it's it's been through Senator Delon seeking to throw me off the ballot um, so that there that that voters won't even have a choice. We were finally officially vindicated about a month and a half ago was when Senator DeLon first, after the first public campaign finance filing deadline, when we demonstrated that we could outraise him, that we outraised him two to one while uh, taking absolutely no corporate money or real estate money and with average donations at, you know, 50-something dollars as opposed to his over $900 average individual donation. After that, he seemed to pivot from pretending that I didn't exist, totally ignoring me, not taking me seriously, to then uh, trying to fight me in court and get me thrown off the ballot. Um, And uh, he wasn't successful. The judge... Uh, in our case, ruled against his petition. Then he appealed. Four judges also ruled against his petition. And then finally, in, in Albany, he appealed. The you know the the last thing that he could do was appeal to Albany, and and they also unanimously rejected it. You've been compared a lot to Casio Cortez, which is cool because she won and she's so inspiring. She said about you that you're you're she's you're not the second Casio Cortez. You're like the first Julia Salazar. <laughs> yeah. So can you talk about that? The ways that it's a it's a flattering comparison, but also kind of the limits of the comparison. Absolutely. So of course I. I adore Alexandria um, and fully fully support her campaign. Was deeply inspired by her her primary campaign and her victory um, in June. But I think that it's misguided when people just constantly seek to 
compare us. It's the result of, you know, some, some, uh, patriarchy people not having space in their political imagination for more than one progressive Latina, uh, democratic socialist in, in New York. And so it's, you know, it's sort of funny, you know, there are obvious similarities, but I think that what people need to understand is that what's similar about us is the result of us being part of the same movement. And it's so much more meaningful than, than just both of us being, you know, in our late twenties, uh, Latina in, in New York, it's telling that, that people don't have the political imagination for, for more than two or more than one of these candidates at once. And we need to change that by, by running more women of color and progressive women of color and and working class women for office. Any advice for young women who are considering getting into politics, running for office? Yeah. If you had told me a year ago that I would be running for state Senate, I would have laughed at you. Um, uh, you know, not only because I am a dedicated organizer, I've seen my role for several years as, as, um, you know, trying to build power in, in the grassroots and agitate our elected officials and push them to do the right thing. It wasn't until early this year that somebody else, uh, that, that friends, that community members pushed me to run that I even considered running. I think to any young person, young woman who is considering running for office, really seriously consider it and know that you have a movement behind you. You know, if you're, if you're a progressive candidate, if you really want to change things, we, we need to do it. And we really do have the, the support system that can make it happen for you. And where can people find out more about your campaign? Go to salasarforsenate.com, sign up to volunteer. There's many ways to volunteer. We're in the final stretch. Um, volunteer, contribute financially if you can. It makes a huge difference. And it's what will finally bring us to victory on September 13th. Well, okay. Thank you so much, Julia, for talking to us. Thank you. You're listening to The Katie Halper Show, and that was my interview with Julia Salazar, a community organizer running for state senate in New York's 18th district. To find out more about Julia Salazar, go to salazarforsenate.com. That's S-A-L-A-Z-A-R-F-O-R-S-E-N-A-T-E.com. Obviously, you know that part. And earlier in the show, I spoke to Ted Ham, who is a co-founder of the Brooklyn Rail. He was an editor of the Brooklyn Rail from 2000 to 2012. His most recent book is Frederick Douglass in Brooklyn, an edited collection of the great abolitionist speeches. He teaches journalism and New York City history at St. Joseph's College in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. Check out Ham's op-ed at City Limits. That's about Letitia James, who is running against Zephyr Teachout for Attorney General of New York. It's called Letitia James' past support for tainted XDA is a concern. You can follow Ted on Twitter at Hammer Daily. Thanks so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. You can hear The Katie Halper Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM or WBAI.org online. Find us on iTunes. Rate and review us, please. And you can find us on SoundCloud. And make sure you join our Patreon at patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show so that you can get bonus goodies. See you next week. And once again, don't forget to join our Patreon so you can hear Julia respond to criticisms of her political evolution.